0: Today's topic is five reasons you lose customers with my friend, Paula Courtney. How's it going, Paula?
1: Great. Thank you so much, Joe, for having me on your show.
0: Thank you, Paula. I really appreciate you coming. Uh, please introduce yourself and your company and where you're calling from today.
1: Sure. My name is well, I'm Paula Courtney, and I'm the CEO of the Verde Group. We are a global market research consultancy. We work across multiple verticals, industry verticals and we work to help organizations improve their customer experience. I'm currently based in Toronto, but my team is literally all over North America.
0: Nice, nice. Excellent. So yeah, you I, I know you work with logistics companies, and I think it's a very exciting topic because when we were prepping, I was talking to you about this. You got a new white paper, but when we were talking about this, this topic is I said, everybody says, oh, well, We excel at customer service. The reason people work with us is customer service, customer service, customer service. And you're like, okay, everybody's exceptional. You never hear anybody say, well, we're not really good at customer service, but we have good pricing. No one says that. They just all say we have great customer service. Yeah. And they used to say, used to also hear everyone say we're the lowest price. You're like, there's one company that's lowest price. (laughs) Anyway, please uh, tell us a little bit about you. Where'd you grow up? Where'd you go to school? Give us some career highlights before you started the Verde group.
1: Sure. So I'm a Toronto native. I grew up here in Toronto, born and raised. I have a second home in New York, in Manhattan, where I... I live 40% of the time, so I'm back and forth. So Verde, you know, went to school at the University of Toronto, where I have a degree in psychology and sociology, and also studied French. So I speak lots of languages, and that's a blessing of my heritage. I'm Portuguese, and learned to speak many languages, so I speak four languages fluently. And
0: Oh, so Portuguese is different than Spanish, right?
1: It is, so... Portuguese is my mother tongue and then I studied French for uh, 20 years so I was very bilingual and translator and all that stuff and then I also speak Spanish and I uh, of course English and I'm now learning and I'm pretty good at Italian so all the Latin based languages so and I love that our work is so international and often you know I have the opportunity to to meet people from Brazil and from France and I get to practice some of my uh some of my linguistic skills, so it's kind of fun. But uh, yeah, you lose what you don't use.
0: <laughs> I haven't said my my American joke. I guess you're American too, so <laughs> I haven't said my American joke lately. But if you speak two languages, you're bilingual. If you speak if you speak three languages, you're trilingual. If you speak one language, you're an American. <laughs> doesn't <laughs> ap- doesn't that. apply to you.
1: <laughs> I love that. Yeah. It's
0: it's funny for those of us. I'm in Michigan. When I was a kid, we learned French at school, which was great because we in Michigan, we would go up to Montreal and we would speak our broken French. And they immediately told us that's the wrong dialect. We don't like that. (laughs) <laughs> right, that, that that's not appreciated there that, that the French we learned poorly was not appreciated in Montreal which is not so far away from us and then um <laughs> so I was like well unless I go to France or to Africa I have no opportunity to speak that language and then w- very few of us l- learned Spanish which we should have been learning yeah but we didn't do as much business with Mexico then but and also I think I think his, his Hispanic people are the probably the largest ethnic group in America, sure. probably, pro- probably in I S I don't know about Canada, but pretty darn close. I bet.
1: Yeah, no, uh, not in Canada for sure. Although we do have a large Hispanic community, we definitely have, you know, a lot of, a lot of cultures. So Canada's uh, definitely a mosaic of multiple cultures. And we're lucky that there is, you know, a lot of opportunity for immigrants to maintain their oh, yeah. culture. Yeah.
0: I always joke about this whenever anytime anybody talks about like immigration, I'm like, God, we should just open it up. Legal immigration, of course. We should open it up. i my like, Canada's like empty. I go, we got like big chunks of our country that are like empty. Like so there's no reason we can't take a few take a few few million more. Anyway, so you studied psychology, you went to University of Toronto. What was your first gig out of school?
1: Oh my gosh. So this is scary. This is dating me, but I actually worked for a railroad
0: All right,
1: for a Canadian Pacific railroad, which is one of the two largest railroads still in Canada. We have Canadian National and Canadian Pacific and Canadian Pacific had huge tentacles into the U.S., but there I really started with in the railroad working in the IT division and helping to understand customer experience and how IT was serving the rest of the organization in terms of customer support and when you know when trains stopped running millions of dollars would be lost for so many of our clients so we were hypersensitive i worked in a help desk and then i helped to train a lot of the senior executives at least my team did when we were you know embracing technology and personal computers so yeah so that was a, a wonderful you know introduction to technology and with a degree in psychology you'd never think what what did i do what was i doing in it but it it started really my business which is that you know measuring and managing customer experiences has sub- significant economic consequences for businesses if done well or if done poorly. So there there is an impact, a profound impact. And five years later, my business was born.
0: Oh, very nice. So when and why did you start the Verde Group? And what do you mean by Verde? What is that? I'm sure it's a Portuguese or Spanish thing, isn't it?
1: It is. So it's funny. It's actually on my website. So the Verde Group is named after a varietal of wine. So uh, Vinho oh, yeah. Verde is a... It, Literally it means green wine, but it's not green. It's actually a white wine with a slight effervescent. And it was one of my favorite wines. And when I started my business, I wanted to I wanted to have a name that wasn't my name. I didn't want to have my name as the company name. And I, I needed to find a name that resonated for me. And so a marketing friend of mine who was in branding said, Well, why don't you pick a word that you know, it was in Portuguese, maybe that, you know, means something to you. And I thought, oh, so it's kind of whimsical, but it's my company's named after a wine. <laughs> you know? <Right>. But actually, <laughs> it you know, green, uh, Verde means green in so many languages. Uh, so Verde for French, Verde Italian, Verde in, in Spanish. And since so much of my business was stateside and so many Americans understand Spanish, I also knew that green had a lot of wonderful connotations to it. It means growth, prosperity. You know, obviously, there you go. C is green, so all these wonderful meanings started to happen afterwards. So it was meant to be. We are the Verde Group. Yeah,
0: exactly. Do you still like that Verde wine?
1: I do. I I'd say that my uh, palate has evolved. <laughs>
0: That's what I was going to say. I used to drink sweet wine when I was young. Now, if you made me drink something sweet wine, I'd be like, no, I can't do it. I got to drink red wine. Right. In moderation, of course.
1: Including, yeah, exactly. So anyway, so that's, that's really how the company name came to be. Yeah.
0: So- Paula, we want to talk today about the five reasons you lose customers. And when we say you, we're talking about logistics companies. And you've worked with a lot of logistics companies. And we were prepping offline. I swear to God, we could go on for two hours about. I mean, I think we've all been on both sides of the customer experience. We are all customers in our consumer life and and also shippers. We all have been on both sides of that equation. And I'll tell you, we all know. When we started talking about some of the upsetting customer experiences we had, it just, it goes off on a tangent so quickly. And Hopefully we don't do too much of that today, but we spend so much time and effort getting customers in the boat. And then we lose them because of things that are really unforced errors sometimes. And that's what we need to avoid. And these don't apply to everybody, of course. And, you know, I think we all do a decent job, but these are the five reasons you, and, and by the way, when when i say it, it's one thing when paula says it there's research behind it so (laughs) she's a researcher guys make no money so so you might say joe you're always blathering out about something but this actually has some basis in in research that Paula and her team over at verde group have done
1: yes so I, i think what's important to get across to your listeners is that there is a big difference between problems that your customers experience that might have high frequency And that likely are on your radar so i rarely walk into a boardroom where the ceo or the executive team doesn't know what their top issues are but those are very different from the issues that put revenue at risk and i think that that's what we're talking about here so issues that may not occur very frequently and that's why you said at the outset that so many of your listeners who run logistics companies the first thing that they'll tell you is that they have great customer service right and while that is true for the most part the issue that we're trying to create awareness around are the issues that create risk which have nothing to do with frequency so you could have an experience that is low in frequency, but has and can create tremendous collateral damage to customer loyalty. Because when it occurs, it's maybe infrequent, but it's so imperative and it's so important and so high grade for some of your logistics customers. Right. That's why area number one, where there is risk, is customer support. So while it's true, customer service really strong i mean companies are investing in improving their customer experience in the millions in the hundreds of millions of dollars it appears to be the number one or two corporate strategies for so many organizations across multiple verticals so what what this means is that it's still a high grade issue for businesses when customers can't get through when they have an issue when customers get and speak with a person who doesn't have the knowledge to support them, who doesn't have the technical skills to answer their question, or when a customer is bounced around multiple times because the complexity of their issue is such that that person who answers the phone, the person on the front line, doesn't have the knowledge or authority to solve the issue, has to transfer them to another department, or worse, says, let me get back to you, and then they never hear from them again. So customer support is a high-grade, high-risk issue. So regardless of how you think you're performing, when problems occur there, you have collateral risk. You have massive risk in your customer base.
0: You know, and Paula, and I'm sure there's not one right answer, but I'll throw this out there too. I've worked with you know shippers and with third-party logistics companies on how you support. And one of the things I used to say when I used to run a little third-party logistics company is we had dedicated headcount for your account. And so when they would call, so if you were to call, you're working with me on a regular basis and that I like, I like dedicated headcount. But if you notice larger companies, obviously when I would call Verizon or T-Mobile or one of those kind of companies, there's not de- dedicated headcount. Tech companies typically don't work that way. And we're becoming kind of a tech industry. But what's crazy is when you have that problem and you have to constantly repeat all the information... And if I would if if it's dedicated headcount I like you call and say, Joe, something's wrong that my customer didn't receive that. And I go, Oh, hang on, Paula. Let me look at look that up. Yeah, where was that going to? That was going to Chicago. Let me okay. Yeah, there's two to go into Chicago. Yeah, which one was it? And we've got this rapport. We're working together. A lot of times now I feel like we've moved to tell me your tell me the shipment number, tell me this, and there is nobody dedicated. And you know, if we're working together every day, Paula we have a shorthand. you know. I'm, we have some sort of relationship, hopefully a good one. I hate when you get transferred and they make you go through, they might say, plug in your phone number and you do that. And then what's your account number? They ask you, and then they transfer you. What is your phone number? What is your address? You're like, are you kidding me? This is the third or fourth person I've talked to. And I keep having to repeat the same information. Right. Like, I, I'm going to drive there and strangle you people.
1: Yeah, no, absolutely. So having to repeat your issue or concern multiple times to multiple people is definitely a pain point, a pain point that puts loyalty at risk for sure.
0: So, and by the way, everybody who's, uh, you know, I think this also applies. We all think we have great customer service, but one of the things that, you know, one of the reasons you hear about great leaders is they're self-aware and they, they, they understand how they're coming off to other people. And we can all become better, more self-aware. What Paul is bringing is kind of a coach for your business on these things where you're not aware. So right. you go, oh no, we, you have no idea how much we've spent on customer service and we're exceptional. We have all these people say, I love your customer service. Well, maybe some people didn't tell you they loved it because they already left.
1: <laughs> exactly. The silent killers, those customers who leave and don't bother to tell you that they had a problem is is You know, incredibly important. And that brings me to my second area of risk, and that is, you know, ineffective problem resolution. So, in order to resolve a customer's problem, you have to get the customer to tell you that they had one. So, if you make it impossible for them to get through, Or you create so many channels for them to contact you and they don't know which channel to contact for that particular problem, sometimes they won't call you. And I am quite certain that a lot of your B2B clients or listeners will say, you know what, we hear about our customer issues. And that is true. In a B2B industry, most customers who experience problems will contact that organization to seek resolution, and the reason for that is usually there are economic consequences if they don't get that problem resolved down the line, down that supply chain. So, so then we we get to well, what is it that is important in the recovery of those problems? The first one is to absolutely recover quickly. Speed of resolution is critical. We see this beautiful correlation between degradation and customer loyalty with time it takes to resolve an issue. The longer it takes, the worse it is for you as an organization. And not only is it important to have timely resolution to issues, but also if you're not able to solve a customer's issue on that first contact, then being proactive in the communications on the status of their problem is critically important. Customers, have high tolerance for waiting as long as they know that someone's going to keep them in the loop. Someone's going to let them know that, hey, we haven't forgot about you. I am still working on your issue. It's I need another two days or I need three days. So that constant communication, conveying and status updates to your customers when problems are complex and they, they need a little bit more time to, to get, you know, resolved is very important.
0: Yeah, that's, you know, again, that speaks a little back to the the idea of dedicated headcount for me. But again, we're not, that's not an option for a lot of companies. But I like the idea of the dedicated headcount because there's already a tr- hopefully some trust established where I say, oh, my God, Paul, I'm so sorry. We'll get we'll get on this and I'll, I'll talk to you between now and, you know, noon today. And you go, yeah, I get it. I know his mobile phone. I can send him a text if I want. I can email him. we're we're that much in the loop. That's a little easier. But if you don't know anybody from the customer support team, you don't have that dedicated, it's, you know, it's dicey because we've all gotten that thing where, yeah, I'll follow up with you. And then you never hear from them again. And you, you said something else when we were prepping. If I fix that problem fast I might even get more loyalty than if I had never even had that problem.
1: It is absolutely true that effective problem resolution, if done, you know, to a customer's complete satisfaction, you actually get greater loyalty. And the reason for that is twofold. There are two reasons and they're kind of psychological. Reason number one is if a customer spends the time to pick up the phone or send a text or an email to contact you, they're doing that because they believe it's worth their time and effort. Mm -hmm. And the fact that you respond to them with a good answer, with a resolution to their problem, basically reinforces that they were right. They made the right decision. So this is what's called cognitive dissonance. You basically prove them right they are now feeling good that, you know what, it was worth it. I did get a resolution to my problem. So that's one reason why it's a good thing, you know, and you you build greater trust. The second reason why you can get greater loyalty is that the customer, you broke their trust when you created this friction for them. You broke their trust and now you've repaired it. And sometimes... We repair in such an incredible way that not only do we rebuild that trust, but we actually connect the customer to us, you know, in a better way. So, So rebuilding trust and rebuilding trust that's stronger than it was in the first place absolutely does engender greater loyalty. It's like a marriage, you know, if you had a big problem and a big crisis, but you were you resolved it, and now you're still together. You're actually stronger sometimes,
0: right? I think also sometimes you see, sometimes you see the effort also in how they fixed it. So it might have taken a lot of heroics, and you go, "Yeah, I had somebody stay late." All right, I got a new truck, and they went and picked up the, tr- the trailer and moved it, right? Or you know, I remember I had customers who uh, I did a lot of less than truckload, and sometimes stuff wouldn't move. It was that was supposed to move from the terminal. And I would say, yeah, I had I would get an expediting company to go rescue it off the dock. And then they would say, Well, yeah, great. Now I'm paying for expedite. I was like, No, you I'm doing that. I paid for that. So now they see I've made the effort not only to make them get them back on track, but I've spent money, I've lost money on that transaction. And I'm not I'm not trying to recover because I I value this relationship more exactly. than I value the money. And it it is interesting. I always tell people, if you don't have a relationship you pay more. And the reason is like, I, I would expedite all the time up for my customers that I worked with. I was like, no, that was our problem. We paid for it. Don't, no problem. If I was just transactional with you, that's that's, that's your problem. It's late might not work with you anymore anyway. So what do I care?
1: Exactly. Exactly.
0: So you covered two, which yep. were the first one was this customer support, which yep. sometimes is, you know, as much as we like to say, customer support, customer service is fantastic. It's not always number two is like, when we're trying to mitigate problems, that's not always, it can be a loyalty building as you pointed out, or it can be the be, the beginning of the end for that business, Absolutely. that business relationship. So what's the third one that you want to talk
1: about? The third about? one is around digital tools So we have used technology to enable frictionless experiences. We've used technology to make processes more efficient for customers. We've created technology to improve experiences by creating greater visibility, by making it easy, or what we call to make companies more shoppable. And shoppability is a really important factor when we think about companies like Amazon who've set the bar for shoppability. How easy is it to buy from you? So digital tools, and you're thinking, wait a second, how is that a risk area? Well, it's a risk area because so many of us are doing it wrong. So many of us are creating tools that do anything but make it easy for customers. We create complexity in our websites. They're difficult to navigate. We don't have, you know, ability to chat with a rep, a human, not a chatbot, but a human being who can support us should we have difficulty right. finding the product or information that we're looking for. And we often put the burden of recovery, the burden of problem resolution on our customers by right. getting them to self-serve and resolve their own issues right. online. So all of that is a sort of an entire umbrella of issues that occur and that is in the digital technology and sometimes the risk area joe is that we don't have enough technology that we haven't provided the right digital tools for our clients to create to make it easy for them to buy from us and get support from us so technology and digital tools double-edged sword Too much and too complex is bad and not enough is also bad.
0: But this is, and and I don't want to say this is an infomercial, but this is why you need people like Paula in the process because whatever, whether it's 75% technology and 25% or 85% technology, you really just need to understand your specific customer and how they're interacting with your company. And I think when we were prepping, Paula, we are laughing about it, is this idea of When I want the technology to be the interface, that's how I want it. When I want to talk to someone, that's what I want. When I want to send an email, that's what I want. This, when we got digital in logistics and transportation, it wasn't so cool. Now I don't have to talk to Paula anymore. No, it's, it's, this is, I'm going to create a great technology experience for Paula. But if she has a problem or she just wants to talk to me, she's going to have that experience. Whatever Option she wants that day that hour that minute. That's what we want to provide. And I think you know sometimes you're like it's eight thirty in the morning. I'm still I'm still drinking my first coffee. I don't want to talk to anyone. I want to go online. I want to find all my shipments and I want to know that they're moving. Later on, you might say, you know what? I want to give Bob a call because we need to. We're gonna plan our QBR anyway. I want to talk to Bob or, or whoever. Right? It's whatever they want, and, and you can't right now tell me, Paula. Do it this way because there is no one right answer other than make sure they're happy, right?
1: (laughs) You know, that that brings me to a side point, uh, which could be its own bucket altogether, is that not all customers are created equal. We all want what we want. And the idea of segmenting your customers by value is critically important. We can't all serve all customers the same way, it's just not profitable, it's not affordable, and it doesn't make any business sense. So, what we can do though is Understand that our customers are a heterogeneous group of characters and some you know, bring in a ton of money to the business and some are very transactional. Maybe they'll do business with us once every two years. So providing higher levels of service for those high grade, right. high value customers is the right business strategy. And one could say that that is an area of risk when we treat all of our customers the same and we give them a middling level of service versus right. differentiated service, we put that at risk. That wasn't one of my one of my five, though, but I'm glad that you brought that up because it's, it's important.
0: So the first one we talked about is customer support or lack thereof. And again, repeating information, not getting what you want, all those yeah. horrible things that we've all experienced. This is the cool thing about all this is we've all experienced it so we know what it feels like. Number two, you talked about mitigating problems. If you can't solve these problems when they come up quickly and in a way that really builds loyalty, it's really, a, there's a, a place where it's the go, no go, right? You either built loyalty and and, and deepen that relationship or you made it worse. You, you've, you've put a... You've put uh, us in the direction of losing a customer. And then you mentioned digital tools and that's such a massive topic all by itself, but could be the website. I go to your website and I can't find where I'm supposed to click or I don't, what's my damn login. I don't go on this all the time. If, if there's, and I think we all have great technology these days, but there's gaps sometimes. And and again, this is the place where we start losing customers is when they go, God, what a pain in the ass it is to work with these people. They've got the best technology. I just don't know how to get into it.
1: <laughs> right.
0: So what's the fourth fourth reason people lose customers in the logistics biz?
1: So the fourth one is lack of consistency across channels. And that is that the service experience that you provide in one channel in one department is completely different from another. So whether it's your call center channel, your, you know, sales channel, your digital channel. So it is critically important to create a single face and a single brand experience across all those channels. You know, customers are omni-channel. We deal across, you know, different departments, and we deal across different channels. And as long as your company logo is on all those channels, the expectation is that no matter where I go, if you have branch locations, no matter who I call, I'm going to get the same policies and procedures being, you know, executed in those channels. If I have a return policy or if I have a, uh, a billing issue, that you're going to treat me the same, that you have consistency. So, right. This is a huge area of risk where sometimes a single company can appear to be five different companies because they treat customers differently based on who they speak to, the channel that they contact. And even in the channel, there used to be back in the call center days where I used to consult we used to call it call center trolling. A trolling customer is one that calls a call center, gets an answer. They don't like it. So they hang up and they call again, they get a different agent. They're going to get a different answer. So trolling for the right response that the customer wants, it's a bad thing. It's it's incredibly expensive to support all those calls because customers are trolling. So consistency in channel, consistency in executing policies, executing, you know, your customer commitments is really important. And when they when it fails, you you will suffer big time. And
0: I, and I think in the logistics space, this is my experience, where sometimes there's a fall down is sales, between sales and implementation. And so when you're working with the sales team, they're saying, when you come here, you're going to get this, 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 and this. And then when the implementation, I, and I experienced this with um, one of my clients, where the first meeting with the implementation team, they said, well, no, you don't get this because you're not paying for that. And I said hold up this, you guys continue on. I'm going to make a phone call. And I called the sales guy. I said, I told him what's going on. I said, you got to jump on this call because it was a conference call. And uh, to the guy, I said, please explain why we're getting this. Cause we're a very large customer. And what was crazy is there was just this, you know, well, almost like the sales guy threw it over the wall to the uh, implementation team. And they looked at it and said, no, we don't do it that way.
1: Yes. Yeah, sales over promises. And
0: yeah. Yeah. And, and, we did resolve that. But right then, it was a little bit of, uh, with for my customer who just went through this long process of selecting the right 3PL. It was a little like, Are you kidding me? What are you doing here? Like, and they're looking at me like, Joe, what happened? Right. Horrible. And I think also we have, and this is another thing that keeps coming up on my podcast. We all want to empower our team to share on social media, right? It's not just the official. Company on LinkedIn, it's all these individuals who are sharing articles, making comments, sharing stuff. That message kind of has to have still line back to the to the company, right? Yeah, and that's not a service thing, but it's it it could be because you know they go, oh wow, this this is a great company, and then they get there and find out no, that was just blather on uh, on social media that that no one promised me.
1: <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Absolutely.
0: Yep. So number one. Again, customer support, customer service, or lack thereof. (laughs) Number two, we talked about is mitigating problems. You can build loyalty or lose it on that, on mitigating those problems. Number three, we talked about just the digital tools. Really, how are we, what does our customer want? And again, I would say they're looking for options that they don't want to be just said, cool, you're now you're completely digital and we don't ever have to talk to you again. That's not what they asked for. They wanted cool tools. They didn't want to stop having relationships. What's the fifth one?
1: Yeah, the fourth one you were saying is the consistency yep. across channels, And then the fifth one is, and this is a, a non-intuitive one, but so important is to be proactive with your customers. And being proactive is not just during the problem recovery phase of your business, but it's in the general operating of your business to be proactive and let customers know about the products and services that you have. We see so many times in surveys that we do that a big pain point for customers is that I didn't know that you offered these products and how come you're not updating me and telling me about things I should be thinking about, better ways to manage my business or grow my business. So being proactive with your customers is you could never be too proactive. Like It's kind of like communicate, communicate, be very out there because what we are learning is that... Being proactive gets your customers to be highly engaged with you. And that's what we want. People buy when they're engaged with your brand, with your company. Right. So proactivity is critically important. Your sales reps should be proactive. You could be proactive through digital means by, you know, pushing out, you know, relevant information. And key word here is relevant, not just spam and brochure wear. Right. Relevant information To help them do one of three things, save your customers time, save your customers money and help them grow their business. And if you can do that by being proactive with information, with, you know, telling them what is available to them, even if it's not services that you provide, but services that they ought to consider. So that would be my final one to put the bow on this one.
0: Right. You know, and if I could add to that is, you know, if you go to an attorney or to your, a new accountant, they're going to look at your current state and they're going to make recommendations on what you need to do. Right. And we trust them to do that. We tr- trust that they have all these. This is where their area of expertise. Same thing in our space. You know, if, if you're a third party logistics company that happens to be doing final mile, and somebody says, I need help with the final mile. I as the, I, as the shipper, shouldn't have to be saying, this is the latest and greatest. Here's how I want you to do it. They should be able to say what they want. But you should say, you know what some of our best customers are doing is blank. And that's what we mean by being proactive. And I think one of the things that also happens is you have these long-term customers. And they might have the same old way. We always do it this way. And, you, and maybe they're happy with you until they find out that the world has moved and you didn't move them with it and they realize oh my god the the my competition has a leg up so if i'm not proactive about it you're going to lose that customer and more and more these shippers the supply chain is looking to transportation and logistics and warehousing and the tech companies that support us they're looking for us to be the leaders take me take me to the promised land right exactly,
1: exactly. that's the, that's
0: that customer delight where you go i asked them to ship my stuff but i had no idea they would also do Blank, blank, and blank for the same price, or for just a little more. Absolutely. Anyway, I'm going to I'm going to summarize this, and I want you to give me some final thoughts on it before we wrap this bad boy up. So, number one, we talked about customer support, and sometimes, again, it can be really annoying when 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 you get moved around from customer support person or operations person. Let, let me let me call the driver. Let, let's have it, especially if you don't get that resolved quickly. And we've all experienced this, guys. So next time you experience that, ask yourself, is my customer getting that same experience? Uh, Number two, you talked about mitigating problems. Again, this is an opportunity to deepen the relationship and build loyalty, or it's an opportunity to start losing your customer. Number three, all the cool digital tools they have, including the website. Great, great. But you really have to don't just tell them this is a great experience. Go back and see what they actually want, That whatever that customer journey is every single time. And maybe there's gaps. And that's why you need someone like Paula, because they'll make you aware of those gaps. Number four, we talked about this lack of consistency across channels. And again, that's even social media. If you have an app, if you have the sales team doesn't say the same thing the, the ops team says, you're in trouble. Number five is you talked about this this idea of being proactive. Always in that, not just for your new customers, be proactive, but for everybody you got on, on board. Paul, enough of my blather, final thoughts on this topic.
1: <laughs> yeah. So I think that, you know, it's absolutely a known fact that you're going to have and create friction in your business. It's just part of any relationship that you have with any customers. They will experience problems along the way, that effective recovery is really, really important and what we're recognizing is that companies are seeking beacon metrics to measure their performance. What should we be looking for going forward? What are the key metrics that will drive our performance? And if I had to sum it up into three things that you should be measuring, they would be these. And we're actually in development of creating this index for our uh, our clients number one is frictionless experience so the more problems your customers have the less slow they're going to be so looking to measure how much friction you have in your business and you always want to focus on reducing that the second is the effectiveness of your recovery when problems occur how well are we doing at recovering from those problems and the third is How well are we doing at engaging with our customers? Are they engaged on our website, our social media? Are they following us on social? Are they downloading our apps, downloading our digital tools? Are they proactively coming to our conferences or training seminars? So engagement is such a critical component of customer loyalty. And what are we doing to increase that level of engagement that we have with our customers or that our customers have with us? So those are the three things. Those are the key critical metrics that we have found are the most connected to revenue growth.
0: Excellent. Excellent. Paul, this is really good stuff. I appreciate it. So, before you go, what's new over at the Verde Group? First off, who do you guys serve? And I think you should tailor this to us logistics folk. (laughs) Sure.
1: We work across multiple industry sectors. Most of our clients are in the Fortune 100. We work in 23 countries around the world. Wow. Global and yeah so we work in logistics we work in financial services retail we have a long standing relationship with the wharton school of business we're constantly publishing white papers thought leadership in customer experience Our most interesting piece was recently published in Harvard Business Review, and it was on the boomerang effect of loyalty reward programs. So you can check out the May-June edition of that article.
0: If you send me a link, I'll put it in the show notes.
1: Absolutely. And I think the latest work that is yet to be published, but it's in progress, is this development of this customer experience index, which we're seeing being piloted by some of our logistics customers and some of our aerospace and manufacturing clients which is really everyone's looking for a good predictive measure of financial growth and that's our latest work.
0: So who's the sweet spot for you guys? Uh, who do you who's a perfect customer for you?
1: A customer who wants to learn, a customer who believes that they haven't gotten it all right, a customer who believes that in order to achieve leadership status or sustain it. They need constant customer insights to drive business growth. Anyone in that space, you know, leaders who think that way are the perfect candidates for us because we are most likely to achieve significant, profound impact for those businesses. I think that the businesses that we don't do as well with our companies who think they know what their problems are (laughs) think they know everything about what their customers believe and think they're on the right path and you know i think that the magic about customer centricity is you actually never arrive (laughs) you know it's it's a journey where there is no destination it's, it's basically a work process. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And you mentioned the idea that in any, any relationship, any human relationship, not with, not with the dogs or the cats, they're perfect, but any human relationship, there's going to be friction. Yeah. There's going to be misunderstandings. There's going to, be, and, and what can happen is you, as you know, in, in human relationships, things build up, resentments build up. And at some point you go, you know what? I used to, used to love that guy, but now he's just a giant thorn in my side. Same thing is happening in our business relationships. If you don't have some sort of reconciliation, if you don't fix those problems that are annoying them, you're going to lose them.
1: Absolutely.
0: And I think also, as we're talking prepping, it hit me that all leaders know that you have to Become self-aware. You have to figure out how am I being perceived. If you say no, I, I'm great. I'm and you start reading your press and thinking, there's a reason they made me the CEO. There's a reason I'm the boss. You're gonna fail. And the same thing in a business. Don't just go. Oh no, you have no idea. And I I know there's people listening going, you have no idea how cool our tech is. You know, like if I could just show you our technology, you would know how great we are. And we we need to we need to stop that. <laughs>
1: Definitely.
0: Anyway, Paula, I really do appreciate you taking taking the time. This is a unique insight that we don't always get on why things aren't working. And again, it's just lack of self awareness, which is something I kind of specialize specialize in. <laughs>
1: Well, thank you so much, Joe, for having me on your show. It's been a real pleasure.
0: Thank you so much. And by the way, I'll put your LinkedIn profile and any links you give me, I'll put those in the show notes. And thanks again, Paula. Thank you. And by the way, thank all of you for listening to my podcast. Your support is very much appreciated. Until next time, Onward and Upward. You've been listening to the Logistics of Logistics podcast, where we engage in conversation with experts in the logistics field. For more details, visit thelogisticsoflogistics.com or follow Joe Lynch on LinkedIn.